Hey, Zell. You got any good jokes? Beyond the state of America? No. You? I'm not really in the joking mood right now. All right, let's just start the show. Hi, and welcome to Don't Kill the Vibe. I'm Katie Bain. And I'm Zell McCarthy. And uh, tonight in the studio, we are joined by Liz Warner. Hey, the hey. host of Alternate Take on Dub Lab Radio and the host of new music video show Border Blaster, as well as Matthew Adele, an outspoken voice in the electronic music world and the founder of the digital music startup Metapop. But uh, we'll talk to them in a little bit. First, we're going to talk about the news. The fucking news. The fucking news. So... As you're listening to this, uh, the U.S. election has passed. It certainly did not go the way anyone predicted. Uh, And I would argue the way that most people of our generation uh, wanted. I mean, you look at the early polls, it seems like 18 to 25-year-olds voted overwhelmingly uh, for Clinton against Trump. That's not how the results panned out. Not at all. It was a slow shock, a slow-sinking Shock, and now I guess acceptance, but uh, that was a hard night. Yeah, and we're not, you and I have talked about this before, we are not political journalists, we are not trying to be that, uh, but we are talking about this because it matters to a lot of people who are in the music world, uh, as evidenced by the reactions we saw on Twitter, for one. Right, from a lot of DJs whose names you know, and maybe some whose names you know slightly Less well, but you want to give us uh, some examples of what they were saying? Well, the one I guess is that's the most, uh, it's probably the most clever, came from our friend Dead Mouse. Of course. I didn't see it because I, he's blocked me on Twitter. Which I think is kind of baller. I don't know why, though. I don't know <laughs> at what point I you did something. Know? You no. don't even know when it happened. You just went to Twitter one day and found that you couldn't access his. Yes, yeah, you were blocked from accessing Dead Dead Mouse's tweets. Wow. I, yeah. I consider that a badge of honor in the electronic I would ex- world. if I knew at what point it happened so that I could be like, oh, that was the tipping point. Right. I mean, we can Monday morning quarterback my being blocked by Dead Mouse as much as we can do that for how Hillary Clinton lost this election. But the reality is, here we are sitting. <laughs> the results are in. <laughs> the end of 2016, and I am blocked by Dead Mouse on Twitter. Right. Okay, well, I'm, I assume that you accessed his account via some other... Somebody, and I won't say who, because I don't want them to get blocked, sent me a screenshot. Okay, it wasn't me. But, okay, what did he have to say? Uh, he posted a map of... Uh, he said, on a lighter note, I just released my new tour dates. And he had a map of the United States with just the... The states <laughs> where Hillary won. Just the blue states. Yeah. Which weren't that plentiful. Sorry, Ohio. Yeah. It's not going to happen for you this time, Wisconsin. No, no, no Florida on, on the dead mouse. Never again. No. Texas. Sorry. Yeah. Goodbye. Texas. Well, faxing. Yeah. Faxing Georgia. No. Nope. <laughs> Though I think he's going to be spending a lot of time on the West Coast. But uh, supposedly, people make these kind of statements all the time. Um I guess the funniest one is there. What what's funny? Uh, UK said the only America, the only future America has anymore, and he had a picture of Future, <laughs> the rapper. You know, it's he it was hard. It's been hard to make me laugh. Yeah, the last few days. Did that do it? And um, <laughs> it's a low bar. <laughs> I think I chuckled. Okay, <laughs> that gave me a chuckle. There were a few that I was like, <laughs> which was a uh, you know at least a blip on the humor radar. So I did appreciate that. But um, 
I mean, who were the people that had more serious things to say? Well, I think the thing that I was really struck by is that going into this election, a lot of prominent DJs kind of sat it out. And a few were like, you know, doing the last minute, like get out the vote thing. But to be honest, if you were on Diplo's Twitter feed, and I'm not calling him out specifically, but I noticed if you were on his Twitter feed, you saw he was lobbying for you to vote for Major Lazer to win an AMA as much as he was lobbying for people to vote for the presidential election. Right. And I, and I couldn't help but notice that the day after election, he was uh, just selling Major Lazer t-shirts. I mean, what better way to welcome a Trump America with a make Major Lazer great again t-shirt? And that's not what they say. Don't order them. Anyways, I mean, it, it, it's an interesting question, right? Because it it begs the question... Who is responsible for getting people to get out and vote? Yeah. Are you responsible as a person that naturally has influence via your large social media followings and your fan base to be that person? Like, do you have a social responsibility? And, I mean, it's 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 tough to say. I mean, the, the majority th- of pop stars got involved. Katy Perry, who has more Twitter, Twitter followers than anyone else, I think like 40-some million, she was front and center. Lady Gaga was backstage at with Hillary crying on Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Reports say I wasn't there. Um, Jay Z and Beyonce they they got involved. It's so you know at some point I think electronic musicians DJs especially the ones who are personalities are going to have to accept the fact that they have influence and decide how they're going to use it and it can't just be to sell their fucking merch. Right. No, I agree. I agree, especially. In the context of what dance music is supposed to represent, totally, and where it's come from, and you know, I, I fear, and I, and I see sometimes that that initial, you know, if you want to say plur, which can sound trite, but you know, peace, love, unity, respect, that's become a little bit lost. And I think that in these DJs not doing their best to get out the vote, it's like you've sort of shunned your moral responsibility to a certain extent. Totally, and I. We should point out Steve Aoki was actually very involved. He yep. played some fundraisers, posed for pictures, socialized them, posed Respect. for pictures with the Clintons, and did not equivocate. He said, get out and vote. Moby, as usual, was very vocal about yep. the importance of this election. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't everybody. The Black Madonna. Black Madonna. Cruella. I mean, there were definitely artists who used their influence to galvanize their audiences into action, but there were plenty who didn't. Are there any Republican DJs? There have to be. I'm sure. That's the thing about these Trump voters that I guess I'm still trying to wrap my head around is that they are uh, kind of secret. I think a lot of them are people that we know and we just don't know. Well, and, and you, you and I are related to some, and they sure weren't clamoring to have discussions with us about why they really wanted to vote for Donald Trump. No, it's kind of like better better left unsaid. Yeah, and so I guess the the... There's a silent, perhaps, I don't know if it's a majority, but there's a silent contingency of Republican DJs who uh, who also didn't didn't do anything to to mobilize their audiences. But, yeah. Yeah. There was, a, I think, perhaps a more analytical uh, reflection on the state of America in Fact Magazine. Mm, yeah, that Sorry, was a great article. On, on, online. Right. Fact Mag. Um, we can tweet out the link, too, via the DKTV. Yeah, at I mean, DKBT, at day, at, so you want to say it? Say Katie's it. Katie's suffering from, uh, <laughs> I'm still in pain, from, guys. Oh, the, the shock of the week. Say it, DKTV Podcast. Thank you. At DKTV Podcast on Twitter <laughs> and Facebook. Um, 
Yeah, Fact had a reporter at Boiler Room's experimental weekender event last week in Northeast PA in the Pocono Mountains. The ironically lake, ironically named Lake Harmony. Yeah, Pennsylvania. And lake Harmony, uh, which is a resort town in the Poconos. And if uh, I, I know this area well, I went to summer camp there. My family used to have a house uh, in that area. Um, it never recovered from the recession of the 80s. Mm, it's where a lot of New Yorkers had their their vacation homes, and then when the market crashed in 89, uh, it, the area got depressed, and it never really bounced back. And it doesn't help that a uh, little thing called global warming keeps snow off the mountains, and the people who make their livings in the winter months are doing so less and less often. Right. So this so Boiler Room went there with you know, sponsored by Ray-Ban to have this weekend-long a series of parties and performances. Is this Boiler Room's first multi-day festival? Yeah, and it's, that's how it was built, too. Kind of as like a, let's let's see how it goes. And the lineup was great, of course. Yeah. Is it always, you know, is with those guys? Combination of people you know and uh, some you don't. Little discovery, little reaffirmation. Right. Like, uh, Disc Woman had a representation there. Honey Sound System was playing. Um, Get a Goth. Yeah. Kamasi Washington. Yes, which I thought was a, a unique choice. Totally. I saw him actually last weekend. I guess it must have been the day right after at Disney Hall, and he was great. Um, but apparently his his set in Lake Harmony was vastly underattended. Yeah. And uh, the, the author of the article, uh, I think, went to great lengths to depict a an environment around this event that it was emblematic of, of what he called Trump's America. Um, well, let's let's give people a little bit of a, a setting or okay, a yeah. context around what happened, because the way the story framed it, this event brought a lot of people in from New York and probably other, you know, larger metropolises but, yes, around the area. Primarily New York City. Primarily New York City. So how far away is this place from New York? It's about an hour and a half. I mean, it's not okay. it's not right next door. OK. OK. So this festival brought in a lot of people from Manhattan, Brooklyn, you know, ostensibly. And. They and it's and you have to drive there. There's no like train that takes you sure. to okay to the okay. mountains. Okay, and the way that this story framed is that they were massively out of place in Lake Harmony, mm-hmm. which what is by all accounts pretty white, pretty pretty white, pretty rural. Okay, uh, more working class than uh, than Gadagoth. Yeah, <laughs> that, definitely not definitely not your your nouveau riche kind of vacation land. It's not the Hamptons. Sure. Um, there are a lot of anecdotal mentions in the article about how out of place everyone there was or felt or was perceived to be by the people themselves who were attending this right. event. Um, and then on day two, the authorities were, I guess, tipped off to some kind of illicit behavior and made an aggressive move to shut down the event by doing uh, like physical searches of people attending and uh, and kind of rounding up who they were considered considering potential uh, violators of laws. Right. And I think, what, one arrest was made and then someone, I'm not sure if he was beaten up or what exactly happened, but someone suffered some, some bodily injuries to an attendee. It seemed like, and uh, we only have, you know, one account really of it. We don't have, we have not contacted the local law enforcement to get their version of events. So I just want to be very clear in saying that. Um, But the reports were that a young black woman who was uh, 19 years old was allegedly dragged through 
the uh, venue in handcuffs, tears streaming down her cheeks, and she was being flanked by a large group of armed local police and security. Ostensibly because she had some weed on her. Yeah. A small amount of amount of weed is what the story said. And there's no, uh, there's Pennsylvania is not the strictest, but it's also possession is not legal there. Right. It's not California. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Or or Massachusetts or or any sure. of the other places where you or even I think New York City where you can be holding a little bit of marijuana and not. Um, anyway, so the the scene is set for for what the the writer of this article and and what a lot of other people covering the event said was a very out of place uh, crowd coming into this community to have this event. Culture clash. But you have taken some uh, you you take issue with this article in a way that. Yeah, and I think with the coverage too. I think you know, like I said, I know this area well. I'm not defending the any actions by police who were who were being violent against someone who was just attending a concert. Not at all. That's wrong, and we need to make sure that we don't support that and we stand up against it. But when you come into a community and throw a rave, you can't expect for that community to just say, "Great, you're welcome here." If you haven't done the groundwork of getting to know your neighbors when you're having a party where they live, you aren't entitled to just do whatever you want. And from those, all the reporting, there were lots of organizational flaws by boiler room. They didn't have enough shuttle buses. Things weren't clear to participants and attendees as to when the music was starting and where it was happening. If you don't have enough people to listen to Kamasi Washington, that is not his fault. That is the fault of the promoters who have failed to bring him a crowd. So I can only guess, and I don't know this for sure, but if they didn't deliver on the basics of setting up an event, then it's fair to assume, I think, that they didn't deliver in doing the community outreach necessary to keep their their fans mm. safe and comfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They also mentioned that they had wanted to bring in private police or private security. And they weren't allowed to do that. So then they were left with uh, the local law force, which it sounds like they were already perhaps combative with if they didn't want them there in the first place. And and that could totally be true. And I and there's no justification for a, a preemptively combative police force. But to say that someone had a rough weekend at a poorly planned rave in the mountains of Pennsylvania and now they understand Trump's America is just it's anecdotal evidence that amounts to like I think a gross m- mischaracterization uh, of a very vast and complicated country. Sure, as, as we've seen, you know, it was foreshadowing for yeah what went down. And we're not, and on we're Tuesday. not exactly, and we're not projecting this. I mean, the title of the article is "Boiler Rooms Re- Weekend" was a naive experiment that revealed Trump's America. I think it revealed a lack of planning and how. Rural and like exurban communities don't necessarily want a bunch of New York City ravers coming in to throw a fucking party on a weekend. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. don't. I'm I'm not. I'm not a Trump supporter. And if a bunch of people came into my town and were like, "Hey, we're here. Deal with it," I'd be like, "Cool. I'm going to call the cops and get this shut down by 11." <laughs> Which they did. Yeah. So I I mean I I think that it's a noble effort to try to understand what has gone on, not just in the U.S., but in other countries around the world that are experiencing this kind of right-wing or kind of populist revolt. But um, I think it's going to be a much more complicated conversation than what we can glean from a boiler room event. Right. It's a multi-headed beast. Yeah. Um, Should we get into some new music? 
I think that would lighten the mood a little bit. Yeah. I think so. I think so. we should do it. Crystal. Hazel. Chris Rodriguez. All right. Um, well, to start things off, Justice's new album, Woman, isn't out until next week. But if you feel you possibly can't wait any longer, this might be the next best thing. <laughs> uh, the French duo are returning to the Essential Mix for the first time this week- weekend in nine years. And... Um, I'm going to tune in. Who knows? Maybe they'll slip in some new tracks from the album. An essential mix. Why is it? Crystal, you are an essential mix guru, I would say. Why is an essential mix so important for an artist? I mean, it's kind of uh, a milestone in their career. It's a, long, it's a long-running series uh, hosted by Pete Tong, who's pretty much the voice of dance music. Yeah. So to get a slot in there is, I mean, it's major. How many artists get a return like this? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I haven't done the official count, but I imagine a few of them have. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It just has to be, uh, you, you're in high esteem if you get to do two. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Pete Tong, he talked to my best friend, Dead Mouse. Oh, yes. Well, uh, speaking of Dead Mouse, uh, Mr. Mouse has announced that a new album is on the way, and it's titled, in typical Dead Mouse fashion, W Drive two- 2016 Album. Um, and he stopped by BBC Radio 1 to, to chat with Pete Tong about it and to share one of its tracks called For Where. I can't, I don't feel like I can say anything. He might, like, unblock me just to block me again, but. I think you, I think that gives you the right to say something with greater safety. What I am pleased about for him is that uh, Ghost and Stuff, classic track from earlier in his career, hit platinum status. Last week? I think within the last, you know what, the way that certifications happen, it can, he can actually hit that, that figure at some point in the last six months and then they just don't formally recognize it sure. until it happened earlier. Well, October. rightfully so. I mean, that's a great fucking song. Say what you want about Dead Mouse, but that track will always make me feel invincible. It's a classic. Yeah. And if you were a fan of that song, I think you'd like For Aware, which kind of has that early Dead Mouse vibe to it. Cool. Okay. Uh, return to the original. Um, Black Madonna. Yes, so Chicago's uh, Finest has announced that she's releasing a new single called He Is The Voice I Hear, and it's going to be her first single, all-new original material in three years since 2013's uh, The Lady Lady of Sorrows EP. And if I interpreted her Facebook post correctly, it's also her first record in which she worked with a live ensemble of musicians. Yeah, she's been like, you know, a lot of artists get to the position where she has been in the last year where everyone's really excited about her. They're hotly anticipating what she's going to do next. She is making hay while that sun is shining. She's not holding back. It, I think it's it's really great. Respect, totally. Do you guys want to hear what she tweeted after the election? Yeah. All caps. Fuck you, you fucking fuck. Straight into the point. I wonder who she was talking about. I'm not sure. Huh. Yeah, we'll have to look Mysteries. deeper into her feed. Um, getting out of the U.S., uh, our Canadian friend, Richie Houghton, Yes, well, if you're a dance music lover who also loves fine art, here's a chance to merge the two. Mm. Um, (laughs) Mr. Houghton has provided the soundtrack to a photography exhibition put on by German artist Andreas Gursky in New York City. Uh, The exhibit, titled Not Abstract 2, sees the German artist manipulating scale in his photos and uh, Richie Houghton providing in a very vast, ambient, minimal soundtrack that you know, I find really interesting. The sample's up on the um, website. It's taking place uh, at the Gagosian Gallery in Chelsea. It's a big deal. I mean, and Gursky's a serious artist. He has monographs dedicated to his work. This is no uh, this is no art school project. This yeah. is legit. It's fantastically classy. Yeah. I wonder if they're going to drink his uh, 
This is sake, sake during hey, the event. I've had Richie Hot and sake, and it's really good. I've had it too. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's killing it. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. I love Richie Hot. Yeah. Always. I would, I would drink that Japanese rice wine any day. I'd drink it right now. <laughs> All right, Crystal. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you for having me. We'll be right back with our special guest for the week. This is Don't Kill the Vibe. If you are from the Detroit area, you know our next guest's voice, probably like the sound of songbirds in the back of your mind. She was the iconic host of a late night radio show in the Motor City for years, but she now lives in Los Angeles. And she is a voice on internet radio station Dublab and the host of its new television video program, Border Blaster. Please welcome Liz Warner. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us. Also in the studio today is Matthew Adele. You may have uh, heard his name back in the day when Napster was the bad boy of the music industry, but now he is the bad boy of the music industry, <laughs> shaking things up with his new company, Metapop. He's going to tell us all about that. Hi. Hi, Matt. And I imagine you have a, an idea or two, of an opinion about this week's election. Oh, do I? Hear it. <laughs> well, let's start with Liz. Liz, tell us for those of us who don't know, what is Dub Lab and uh, why are you there? All right. Well, Dub Lab is uh, an amazing internet based radio station. It's been around for 17 years. It's It's been below the radar. There's a reason for that. It's, there are the people that have been there, the founders of it, the co founders have all been just really integral to the art scene in Los Angeles. And being under the radar is is kind of part of the mission. It's there to keep arts alive, and it's uh, they've done just a fantastic job. When uh, we first came out to Los Angeles, we knew of Dub Lab, and uh, then finally we were able to meet the crew at Dub Lab, and uh, talking you know back and forth about oh maybe you should do a show. I mean this is me after not having done a show for maybe almost a span of about 10 years, maybe not quite long that, at that point, but it was me taking care of my kids, basically, and not really focusing on that. Still, of course, a fan of music the whole time. And um, eventually, somehow, they convinced me to uh, do a show, which I'm really glad they did because they're just such great people, and they're doing their thing for all the right reasons. What are those right reasons? Because like, I think a lot of people don't necessarily know why internet radio is so important. Either they take it for granted or they just think it's always been there. But that's not the case. Definitely not the case. Um, my background comes from terrestrial radio. So um, I you know, go back to about 1995 of starting that. And as I was doing that, this you know funny little thing came up called internet radio what? and broadcasting. And I... Um, I kind of helped to um, actually get that it was on WDET in Detroit, and I helped to to bring that onto the internet, you know, with my own way to get it onto iTunes. You know, that was like a big deal. Oh. It's like, oh wow, you know, um, it really wasn't happening. So before then, the options were limited for for listening. I I will always love terrestrial radio, by the way, and. As a matter of fact, Dublab has a plan for that, which I can go into in a minute. Like on the FM dial. On the FM dial, so we'll, we'll get back to that in a second. But 
the internet also opens up new avenues. It was really cool to be able to do my show, for example, and know that people in not just Detroit, but in Germany, in Boston, in Los Angeles, and wherever, you name it, as long as they had an internet connection, they could listen to it. At that point, that was a brand new concept. So what year are we talking about? Maybe what, like 2000 something by the time WDT got into that mix. Um, Dub Lab now in its 17th year. And um, when they started it, very limited options as well. And if anyone wanted to take part in that community, if you did not have a terrestrial signal, then that their internet was your only option. But they've managed to make it into an extremely viable option to reach the right audience. That's exciting. I feel like, well, and in a very different way, Mr. Adele, you have used the internet at every company you've been at to really change the way people are accessing music. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. I have, uh, thinking about Liz talking about internet radio, I actually, my first job in the internet after sort of having been in the traditional music business for a long time was in Chicago working for Motorola, which a lot of people forget. A Motorola is means car stereo. That's how Motorola no started. Way. Yeah, <laughs> Motorola. That makes sense. Wow. And I, I worked at a startup that Motorola had funded uh, at you know earliest of the internet times, working on early internet radio tech. And we were the first company that brought all of Clear Channel's terrestrial radio stations online back in the day. And at the same time, they were paying me and a group of cool people to do. Grateful Dead Radio and Blue Note Radio, really, really early, oddly experimental, yet corporate uh, endeavor at the time. Pre-serious, where serious, yeah, ten years before. I mean, yeah. Because now I feel like if you have (laughs) if you have satellite radio, you just expect that you can have a dedicated channel to exactly what you want to hear, and that's not that wasn't always the case. No, it was was new at the at a time, and people were you know first there was technology to figure out which, you know, when people were accessing, there was no smartphone, so you only had your desktop, which probably, unless you were at work, was a dial-up modem, (laughs) uh, which if you read the Hillary (laughs) WikiLeaks, you now know what a dial-up modem is. Um, uh, It was an interesting time. Um, And Liz, I want to ask you what what Border Blaster is. Border Blaster is a video series, original original music uh, video series collection of videos from around the world. It's it's quite cool, and it's um, something that KCET has been doing. That's a public television station here in Los Angeles, and they basically have worked with DubLab now. Uh, I don't know how the agreement actually got started because it was all done behind the scenes where DubLab was asked to curate the video series. Um, so this all came together through the very hard work of some of the, uh, the good friends over there, Mark and Alejandro and AJ and some really great people who did a lot of the legwork to go through thousands of videos. Videos, you don't really see that many music videos made anymore, right? Remember like yeah. the days of 120 minutes and, and all that stuff. Do you remember that? That, that was an MTV show, kids. <laughs> I was going to say, do you remember I, that? I remember Am I, it. <laughs> I, I think Matt's got to remember that, right? Oh yes. Mm-hmm. They used to. Okay, MTV used to be a station that played uh, music videos on cable. In case anyone thinks it was yeah. always just about <laughs> the real world. Oh, I have a real. Well, I'll save my real world story for later. 
Sorry. Tease. And for a while, the cool time to tune in was yeah. that Sunday night. Was it 8 o'clock or 10 o'clock? It was, I thought it was midnight. It could Depending have been midnight. where you were in the country. Yeah, I guess. It's, I yeah, guess so. Totally. Because yeah. that's where you knew the really cool videos were going to be. So, you know, that was the thing. Yeah. This is a bit like that in that it's it's just kind of uh, takes these videos from around the world, some of the ones that a little more challenging out there or a little more interesting. Um, Tiga was featured in, in the la- latest one, as well as Chassol and all these different people. So the, it, the legwork, an interesting way for this one, is done mostly by uh, Mark and the, and the crew over there. And then there's been text written, and then I basically have been the announcer, the host, as they call it in that case, of uh, the various different people taking part. Some really cool stuff yeah. and some really um, eye-opening and, and actually just almost relaxing but, you know, engaging. It's very – I'll tell you, I've I've watched it and it's very uh, – and if you don't live in Los Angeles, you can go to I, – I think it's KCET Link and watch it online. And they also rebroadcast on public stations around the U.S. That's right. But it is very relaxing and it's a great source of music discovery. Um, Matt, I'm curious what you think about – because music discovery has changed so much in – certainly in the time you've been working in the music industry, but even in the last five years, the way people find new music is just, it's its shifted. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. It used to be, since I've been working in, in music for so long, I've seen these giant corporate studies. And all the way back in the days when I worked for Motorola, they brought this expensive corporate study to talk to us about how people discovered music. And if you asked people how they discovered music, they all said they're friends. But if you did the scientific work to find out how they actually discovered it, it was all terrestrial radio and television commercials. Yeah. Which having – I grew up working in record stores and that resonated with me because no one comes in and and tries to hum a song to you that their friend told them about. (laughs) But everyone comes into a store and says, I just heard with this Budweiser ad, you know, what's the bop bop song? Ministry every day is Halloween is the answer to that question. (laughs) And – uh, and now people still say, you know, they're friends, but they, they really mean through social media and, right. and the, the connections that are there. I think one thing people don't really realize is that social media is not organic. Uh, the algorithms are what? Uh, in- <laughs> are intentional and, and in many cases paid for. <laughs> uh, it's, it's probably paid, paid for by whom? Uh, a variety of different. Uh, constituents. I mean, I think why DubLab is so important is I think it sits outside of um, uh, that kind of system and systematic approach that allows for that. But uh, certainly many of the playlists that are very popular by third parties on Spotify sell the placements. Sure. Okay. And and with DubLab, you're not really beholden to any of those no, interests. not at all. And it's, it's me and, you know, over a hundred other hosts who are not beholden to any other interest. So if you tune in at any any given time, um, you may just thoroughly enjoy what you're hearing, or you may think it's just crazy out of this world that might be accessible. <laughs> you just don't know. And there's a beauty to that. And that is where real discovery can happen if you can get your head in that spot. And that's a, that's a hard spot for a lot of people to do. It's um, it's You really have to intentionally set yourself aside and that's difficult for a lot of people to do in a way that the election has kind of shown that that we we don't know how the other side, you know. Sure. So that's just sure. to tie that in. I so mean, you have to be open. You have to be open. Mm. I think that's an interesting point because I think 
one of the things I always loved about radio and still do is that if you just turn it on, you don't have control over what you're going to hear next. Right. It's different from a playlist. It's, it's exciting. Yeah. Because you don't know what you're going to get. Exactly. And you might really not like it. But when you hit the jackpot, it's you, like winning a prize. Yeah. Yeah. It's like winning a presidential election with <laughs> the popular vote and the electoral college. But to bring yeah. it back to radio, uh-huh. I mean, it is different <laughs> because at, at the end of that, it is not just the algorithm that is going to surprise you with whatever it is right. that you're going to hear. But it's that human, and there are some very real intentions behind what you're going to hear, mm. and some very real surprises that that can happen. So there is that uh, organic nature to it. Doesn't matter necessarily the medium, if it's internet, if it's you know who ma- who cares anyway. I mean, you have Bluetooth in your car, right? So it's like it it yeah. kind of just blends all together. But it's uh, it's something that that has purpose reason sometimes it's not i mean it depends on who's who's on the decks but that's where those discoveries and connections can happen too connections i've always loved making those surprising connections of where things come from and then you know the next steps what kind of feedback have you gotten when you've provided people with those connections do people hit you up and you know you know, express their gratitude or whatever. Sometimes, you know, radio in general, no matter what the medium, again, is a little unusual because you don't always hear. I can't see you guys. I don't see you guys. You, 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 <laughs> you, you don't up. always uh, you don't always hear back from who's listening. You, you might hear back from from one person about something and then you just assume that means, you know, I don't know, like 10 other people, right. whatever the case may be. Um, and. It doesn't necessarily matter if you hear back because you just you just send it out into the ether and that's part of this uh, I don't know this like subconscious uh, unseen communication between humans of uh, you know where to go what it is or where you can go right what mood to be in how to feel that's very powerful it like, can be when you say the intentions behind what you're doing like what do you think some of those intentions are. Um, I, in, in my case, it's, a, it's about discovery. It's about, it's always been really in kind of a selfish way, discovery for myself, for the purpose of myself and to enlighten my own self, which somehow, sometimes I, I hope happens to have enlightened others. I mean, I, I don't know how else to say that, but, um, it's, it, it, it can be a lot of fun. It's, just, it's like a blank canvas, you know, so it's like the space and, and you can play around with it. There's, a, there's, I think, an exciting opportunity for connection whenever you're listening to music with other people. And if you're listening to the radio, usually it's by yourself, but other people are listening to the same station, perhaps at the same moment. You're, you're having some kind of maybe anonymous connection, but that's the cool thing I... Totally. That's I, the community. Sorry. sorry. Oh, no, no. That's fine. Go ahead. That is the community. And that, that radio does build community. Um, terrestrial, especially I, I, when I was doing terrestrial, I could, I could feel that I knew I, I would get phone calls from, you know, kids who were, you know, uh, 17 or, or even younger. And then I'd get a phone call from the guy who just got off from the factory uh, at work at two in the morning and he's cooking a steak on his porch, you know, and, and downtown Detroit and it's all sorts of people I could go on yeah but the one thing they have in common is that community that that they're all doing 
the same thing. And that is that is super cool. Um, with internet radio, you can't always feel that so much because you're not in the same time zone necessarily. And, and some of the things don't translate as well, except that you know that all these people doing all these different things could be listening. The on-demand kind of uh, thing affects effects as well. So you don't know if, if who's listening at, at what time necessarily. But anyway, Dublab, and the next move for Dublab is to actually, within Los Angeles, to have a terrestrial signal, and it has been approved That's for a big deal. Uh, yes, for a small uh, wattage, low power station. It's just a matter of now getting that um, funding together. So now it's the best of of all worlds. You know, it's it's the it's the internet around the world globally. This globally respected you know entity, and then it's it's bringing it truly to the streets of Los Angeles, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. It's a, I think it's a good democratization of, uh, of access to new music and mu- new music discovery. Yeah. Um, and old music yeah. discovery. Not just, <laughs> not just new, new old music. New to you. <laughs> Matt, tell us about Metapop because you've been getting a lot of attention within the industry, uh, building a really great momentum behind it. Um, how did you come up with the idea? What is what is your goal, and, and what's going on with it? Well, I, I think as a few people here at the table may recall, this company Bport, uh, where I worked, I I've think, never heard of I that. think That's a couple strange, people here might have. Maybe once or twice. Huh. Uh, swung through. Uh, I had the pleasure of getting to know the aspirational producer remixer really well during my time there, and. I, after leaving B-Port, I killed about 65,000 zombies on my Xbox. Uh, well done. Uh, and it's not even, even a metaphor. Uh, that is a literally, literally. <laughs> and then once I got up off my couch, I thought, well, what problem do I want to solve in the music space? And I thought I wanted to solve this problem of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of really awesome creators and producers making remixes. And the awesome remixes that they made were getting taken down. Sometimes they might get a nasty letter or a threat of a lawsuit. Um, that doesn't work for the creator. It's not good business for the platforms. Uh, and then the flip side of it is a lot of these remixes were getting posted online and not and not getting taken down, but also not generating revenue for the people who created the original music or, or the remixer. And so rather than build a big, consumer-facing destination, which is the kind of thing I've done for the last 20 years or so in music, I decided to build a back-end platform for rights clearance that makes the entire global ecosystem of remixing work for the entire community. And so uh, at metapop.com, M-E-T-A-P-O-P.com, <laughs> Just produ- how it <laughs> producers and remixers can come and choose from tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands of songs that are pre-cleared for remixing. Oh, wow. And if they remix them and follow just a couple of really super simple rules, uh, they are guaranteed that their remix can be put on YouTube and SoundCloud through our process. They're guaranteed that it will not be taken down, that no, it, it publishes instantly. No one is sitting there listening and deciding if their remix is good enough. Uh, and that remix will be on YouTube and SoundCloud and is monetizable for the original rights holders, the person who wrote and created the original song, as well as the remixer. Uh, most of the money goes to the people who made the original song. We split the rest uh, with 
the remixer. Where, where, where does the money come from? Um, well, uh, it's the music business. So there's not a lot of it. But uh, it, it, uh, in YouTube and SoundCloud, it comes from advertising revenue. Okay. And uh, then our rights holder partners select which remixes on YouTube and SoundCloud they like the most. And we work with them to upstream, as we call it, the, distribute those remixes to Spotify, Apple, Tidal, Beatport. Since we launched in March, we've signed 6,000 labels. Uh, we have over 200 tracks on Beatport, Apple, Tidal, and Spotify. Those are tracks that were once bootleg remixes and are now legal and authorized through our system. So by so by saying to the world, basically, look, remixes are happening. Mm-hmm. We are going to legitimize them and shine the light on them. Now people who are making those remixes can get a little a little green. They can, but I think the more important thing is to not work on a remix for a weekend or a week or a month, put it up and have it taken down. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm a remixer myself. I don't share my stuff because it embarrasses everyone. Aww. But uh, I'll share with you. <laughs> and, but uh, the, uh, the people who make them make them primarily because uh, they want people to hear them. And, and so my first priority is making sure that remixes can be heard. And then the way to make sure they can be heard is to make sure the original people uh, – get the splits they deserve. Uh, the service doesn't cost remixers anything. We, okay. You know, we don't make any money unless the remixes make money for everybody. Got it. Um, and uh, it's been a really uh, exciting year. We just launched the new Moby single last month. The day the Moby single came out, we had the stems available uh, uh, for free to our members to remix away. We had 420, 420, woo, uh, had 420 <laughs> remixes made in the first three weeks. A bunch of them were incredible. I listened to every single one. You listened to 420 versions. I did. I didn't listen to all of them. Okay. I mean, all of each one. But you, okay. uh, you gave each one a spin. I was trying to establish the top 25 mm-hmm. in yeah. my mind. And so, you know, once you're 200 in, you know, you can get 30 <laughs> seconds into something and be like, oh, yeah, that's not hitting the top 25. Wow. Um, but there were there were some some great stuff, including a couple of metal bands that just accompanied Moby's acapella. They jammed a metal band's jammed. Nice behind. touch. That's awesome. Yeah. In best case scenario that an artist makes a remix via Metapop and it hits. How much money are they looking at? Oh, gosh. We're relatively new, so I can't say where I think that is headed. Uh, can I ask, a, a can few, I ask a, a, an inverse of that question? Yeah. If an artist makes a remix and it is not legit, can it cost them? Yes. Okay. And that's part of how I uh, discovered this business. Uh, Katie, let me answer your, your question first. Sure. Uh, a million plays on YouTube and SoundCloud uh, uh, is a big number to hit. Right. And there's really not much money at all flowing under a million plays okay. on those platforms. Okay. But on YouTube, someone can assume that if their video slash music gets watched uh, a million times, that it's somewhere between $1,500 and $2,000 is flowing through the system. Okay. Uh, and then we do splits, you know, and so the, you know, the remixer gets a, a small portion of that. Got it. Uh, it's, it's not a lot of money on any engagement play platforms until you're, you know, hitting tens of millions of plays, really. Um, uh, when I first started this, I met an artist who had uh, done an Eagles remix. Like the band, the Eagles. He had remixed the Eagles, yes. Very and, nice. Uh, Approved. And I, I loved this guy on SoundCloud, yeah. and I sent him some fan mail. 
And he could have been in Paris for all I know. He could have been in Guam. But no, he was four blocks behind my house in Los Feliz. <laughs> and, and it was uh, Glenn Frey. <laughs> and, Aww, all right, and, and, and this artist got, you know, a cease and desist and a substantial threat. Uh, and uh, the, the threat was able to be worked out. Uh, one of the interesting things that's happening right now, and I don't recommend it to remixers, is people get kicked off of SoundCloud. And the next option that come, occurs to them is Bandcamp. And if you're a remixer and you post something on SoundCloud, your the potential for you getting sued and being forced into bankruptcy is pretty low. It's really SoundCloud's issue. Because SoundCloud, you're not really making any money from SoundCloud, so SoundCloud is being held live. That's part of it. I mean, okay. I'm not a lawyer, but just in terms of the grand scheme of the way things, dominoes fall, you know, the in all likelihood on SoundCloud, so long as you don't enable a download, it's right. just streaming, mm. you know, the worst thing that can happen, they'll take it down and send you a nasty note. But you put it on Bandcamp, and Bandcamp asks you, would you like to sell this for $1.99? And you start doing that. Every time someone downloads a paid download of your bootleg, the uh, standard penalty is $150,000 per download. No way. What? Yeah. Every time. Yeah, so it could bankrupt you. Does that, do do labels follow through? They threat, that's where always where they start, right? So they start with, you had 100 downloads, we're going to, you know, sue you for 100 times, you know, 150000 uh, and it ends somewhere healthier than that. But, wow. you know, it's... But you're, still. I mean, when you're selling someone else's stuff, that's that, that's not right. And it doesn't surprise me that uh, people, you know, chase you down for that. I think um, wanting to share something you created is much different than selling, you know, this thing you created right. based yeah. on someone else's right. work. I think it's interesting, especially, I mean, it's, it's it, probably no coincidence that the Eagles were sort of the band whose work inspired the track that brought you to conceive this this company. The Eagles are notoriously tight-fisted when it comes to the rights to their material. Mm-hmm. Don Henley has been very outspoken about the prerogative for artists and songwriters to uh, to be paid and to, to have their work protected by, by copyright laws and by the industry. And in some ways, he's been outpaced by the advancements of technology. But... Um, I think what what you're working on with through this company sounds like it could be a solution for a gap between people's creative expression and where copyright law and and exists. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm hoping. And it's about building trust with both the remixer and original recording artist, you know, community. There's always going to be artists that don't want their stuff remixed and they don't have to work with me. Right. But we're finding thousands and thousands of labels and artists who who are open to this, so long as they can make it part of their career and not this thing that just happens, you know, mm. in the back room. A remix mm. can change everything. That's mm-hmm. true. That's true. Do you think that's the primary benefit for them is just greater exposure or is well, this money it, that they could possibly be making? I think for a lot of artists, uh, greater exposure if you can't monetize it in some ways not helpful. Sure. If you can monetize it in terms of selling a ticket, getting someone to come to your gig, you know, that's awesome. Um, even just someone following your Instagram account, I'm sure we all know many artists who've turned their Instagram accounts into money-making opportunities. Um, so there, as long as there's some way to sort of connect it to their, their, the well-being of their career, then people are, have a tendency to be pretty cool with it. We don't allow any remix that involves hate speech or commercial speech. So why, And why is that? People ask me if there was any, because I'm trying to figure something out that's never been figured out before. So I listen to my label partners when they ask me questions. And everyone was saying, well, 
what would you take down? What wouldn't you allow? And I thought about it and I thought, yeah, the Illinois Nazi party can't make a remix and Coca-Cola can't make a remix. Both those people... Uh, Not that we're saying they're the same thing. No, no, but the Illinois Nazi party can go fuck themselves and Coca-Cola should call the original artist and pay them a million dollars. Right. right. Um, there you go. And, and that's not what I'm trying to solve for. I'm trying to solve for the young person in their bedroom who got their hands on the Avicii stems and wants to make something. Now, yeah, I think the Illinois Nazi party, uh, I don't, is that a real contingent? Oh, yes. Okay. Well, I, I guess they've had a great week. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah, Liz, sadly, Liz Warner is shuddering <laughs> visibly. Uh, t- Matt, you've you've been outspoken uh, at various industry events uh, about your thoughts on social politics. What are your thoughts about what's what's going on in this country right now, and and how it relates to to the kind of globalized dance music community that we're a part of? Well, I'm I'm, I'm deeply ashamed today to be an American white man. Um. Earlier today, I, I was angry uh, since the election until this morning, and now I realize that the last thing the world needs is another angry American white man. Uh, so I think it's my responsibility to play my cards a little bit differently than a lot of my fellow Americans have. Um, it's I'm deeply disappointed. Uh and I'm not sure how this will play out, but I, I also know that I'm not going anywhere. I'm sure we've all seen people joke, I hope, about leaving the country. Yeah. Uh, I think in particular as a... The joke, I mean, it was enough to, on election night, to crash the Canadian Immigration Services website. Sure, right. To overload it. But I think that's like, honey, look, we're going to go to, you know, yeah. going to go to Toronto if the laptop open. But <laughs> I think it's my responsibility to stay here and protect my... Black, Latino, gay, trans, female, Muslim brothers and sisters, uh, and and that's what I'm gonna what I'm gonna do. Yeah, Liz, you have been on the air at difficult times in 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 life. What kinds of things would you recommend to fans of music right now? What do we need to do to kind of handle this? confusion and, and contention? Well, m- music is interesting. I mean, it's all, it's all part of that arts, you know, forum. Arts, let's call it a forum, because it is. It's, it's a point of discussion. And at first, after, after you know, the, the initial shock of, of, of the election and being um, dumbfounded, by the whole thing, we you know we all had the same thing going on, you know, the look on our face and, and all that thing, and the the the, the sadness. I, I initially thought, well, the artists, the artists. Actually, I stayed up after the election, and I, in my head, I went through these different points in time where music was extremely re- relevant, and I, I I traced it back to to the rock and roll and the inception of a band like the MC5 and and how it 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 came into more prominence. I went into you know the who was the president then? What were the events? What, the Democratic National Convention, the Vietnam War, things like that. What was going on when Motown was rising? Motown, when you don't think when you think of Motown, you don't think of the um, 
necessarily, except with Marvin Gaye, you don't think of the the craziness, but you think of the happiness. But right. that was like a facade. That was a creation in reaction to what was happening in Detroit. You think about the electronic scene. You think about something like underground resistance when you talk about techno and what was happening then? Who was the president then? What was happening in and around the world to make that message come through? So in my mind, I thought, this is at least going to bring those artists together with unified messages to hopefully bring understanding between one another. If you can understand the message of someone like underground resistance and that's not sometimes a little hard to get to <laughs> because it's you know it's very you know it's like right it's, it's under underground sea level you know communication uh special codes that you have to know but it intrigues people enough hopefully to try to understand the other viewpoints and then ultimately bring people together it may not be that message it's not it's probably not that message that gets you intrigued initially but then People rally around it and come together because of that. And so I stayed up, you know, an extra hour or two just to kind of trying to like other things too, map this out and thinking, okay, maybe there's hope because the artists, once again, at least the artists in the music community will bring us together. Do you guys, what, do you guys think that we know what, what's going on? Do you think we know who our country is? Do you think that we can find that through through art, through music? I I think we can, and I think our artistic community, especially in 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 this our scene right now, have completely abdicated their responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I can sort of call back to what you guys were talking about before, you mentioned Steve Aoki, you know, really being open in his support uh, for Hillary. Um, and you named a number of artists, with the exception of Moby, what was true about everyone else you mentioned that took a stand? They weren't white men. Yeah. Um, Go to a festival, who's on stage? Absolutely. (laughs) White Mm -hmm. men. And the white men in our scene should be ashamed of themselves just like I am. We didn't do enough. Um, uh, Our privilege... Uh, allows us to exercise a, a, a greater and louder voice than many other people. And with privilege comes responsibility. And especially for the dance music scene, which is built on the, the backs of uh, primarily gay and black folks and, and other minorities, um, uh, to have not heard anything, to me, speaks loud and clear, not that they didn't have an opinion, but I, I'm going to make some assumptions about what people's opinions were uh, as a result of, of their silence. And it, it was deafening uh, and shameful and, and, and could have made a huge difference, especially what we know about uh, 18 to 25-year-old people's voting patterns. Um, right. We know now that if they all voted, even if just twice the number of them voted, uh, you know, things would have turned out differently. I'm not saying it's their fault uh, at all, but you know, we as a community should have been able to activate that group of people um, to uh, change the world for the better. It sadly reminds me that plur is something a lot of us remember 
Uh, and Plur stands for peace, peace love, love, unity, and respect yeah. from the old school rave days. And, and, and Katie and I were actually talking earlier today about how that has become kind of uncool to say. It's been considered somewhat date like just passe. In well, a way. and it's become a corporate slogan. You can see it on leggings now that people wear. But it's yeah. like, are the people in those leggings embodying those values? And you know, it's hard to say, but it's something that's being used to sell other things now, mm-hmm. which I think is really tasteless. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so I, I think. What we call our community is really largely a group of insanely privileged white kids on vacation. That's that's uh, that's shocking, but I think it's uh, it's uh, sobering too. And I, you know, we had we had kind of alluded to some of this a little bit either, and, and we're not trying to demonize anybody. If you are a Trump supporter and you're listening to us now, uh, you know, we respect your right to 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 believe that, but we were. Uh, earlier this fall talking about in particular the chain smokers and how they embody they are the embodiment of uh, white straight male privilege because they are mediocre and moderately untalented and have been able to be really successful um, and I think it, it would uh, probably behoove everyone to really think about why it is that they're successful and what it means for a community that can or an industry that can make so much money but still not not advocate for for its forebears in a way, and for the people who are still around today. Yeah, I mean, the Chainsmokers should take a look at the Beastie Boys trajectory. That they, uh, the Beastie Boys were the ultimate white privilege, right? literally rich Manhattan doofus kids um, <laughs> playing with race. Uh, and, you know, over an entire career, they became some of the most thoughtful and outspoken people. Uh, so the Chainsmokers still have a chance. There's hope for you yet, Chainsmokers. <laughs> and I guess that that could, go, that could be said of anybody listening who might not uh, have participated. There's hope to to get involved and to to stand up for. There's for, a ton of hope. We're yeah. all alive. The universe is a dead, empty space, <laughs> but we're all here alive. It's a miracle. It's all hope. That's right. As long as we're alive, there's hope. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to add, Liz? Uh, no, I, I mean, I was just thinking about, you know, when, when I was in high school and the folder that I had and all the band names that I idolized, that I had written all over, you know, and, and you know, it was the Smiths, the Cure, Susie and the Banshee, whoever, you know, all these different artists. And if I were in a, if I would have been, you know, at that age in a position to have voted and, and one of those whom I idolized said, hey, you know, you should think about this issue or that issue or this issue. I think I would have listened. And right. it's, it's weird because you, you, I understand it's, it's a weird spot for artists to become politically involved. And I'm not even sure if I can fully endorse it, but I think there are things that artists should consider for themselves personally if it's, if it's something that that can work for them. If it's something you you live by, then why not share that? You know, why right. not why not share it? How is that how is that going to hurt you? And if it's going to hurt you, then I just don't know how it can hurt you. I mean, it can only open eyes if you know it's right. If you know it's right. Yeah, I think I I think it, uh, you know, looking to the world of sports, Michael Jordan was always famously silent about politics, saying that. Both Democrats and Republicans buy sneakers, basically saying. Snope says he never said that. 
Oh, really? Yeah. I looked that up once because I read that and it made me really pissed off. <laughs> well, whether or not he said it, he never... He, he did not he, step up. Yeah, he did not get involved in any kind of activism or advocacy. LeBron James is here very, very loudly did. What do they say? Silenced consent? Yeah. It is. Yeah. And, and you know what? Silence, silence is contemplation too and silence is prayer and silence is holding hands with the people you love. You know, I'm not saying that we all need to be screaming all the time because I don't think that's helpful either. Right. But if you are in a position, like you said, Liz, where you, you can make a difference and it is something that is in your heart, Jesus Christ, do it. Yeah. Because the other things come out of your heart as well, shall, shall we say, if not to get all, you know, crazy, like, uh, emotional Let's sort go of, but, <laughs> but the the things, the creations that you make, that comes out of your being as well. Exactly. So how is that in, how is that separate? It's in alignment. That's your art. That's your feeling. Right. That's, like you said, your intention that you're putting out there. It's an extension of that. It's all the same thing. Unless you're just regurgitating other people's prefab labels and loops. Or you're trying to get people to buy your t-shirts. Yeah. In which case, then get off the bus. Yeah. I want to thank both of you guys for being here. Uh, this was we, we had planned a different uh, show with, with each of you as our guests. Um, but And to our listeners, uh, if you've heard us before, you know that we're not typically this somber or deep, but uh, the the time is right. We wanted to, to let you all know that we are thinking about the same things you are thinking about. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have more to say, but... Uh, we're processing. Yeah. And we know you are, too. So let's process together. For now, we're, we're going to do things a little differently this week uh, with our segment, What Killed the Vibe? I think it's fair to say that the U.S. election has unequivocally... Killed the vibe. Killed the vibe. Hi. But... Uh, Flatline, man. But Katie and I have talked about this, and we're... We, we're hopeful. We are hopeful because, like Matt said, we're alive and we have agency and we have voices. You know, you're listening to us right now and there are people that listen to you. So, And if you don't feel like you have that agency or that voice, just know that other people are here uh, in this room and across the country uh, eager and, and excited to speak up for you uh, because you deserve it. Tweet us, man. We're here. We're listening. And I, I think uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier uh, after the election. Uh, I think about what happened with the Disco Sucks movement in the late 1970s when Chicago radio DJ asked people to bring all of their disco records to Kaminsky Park in Chicago in the middle of a doubleheader game, and they were burning the vinyl in the middle of the field, and it was this ugly m- movement that was really a backlash to the what had been the empowerment of, uh, of black and gay and Latino people in major cities through disco's popularity. And, uh, you know, here we are 40 years later, almost 40 years later, and uh, disco is still thriving. It has spawned uh, several other genres. It is not going anywhere. And so to anyone who thinks that this is uh, the, the devastation of, of whatever it is that you hold dear, uh, there's always a comeback and good things always prevail. That's right. That metaphorical uh, pile of vinyl is burning, but we'll come back. Yep. We'll dance again. All right. Uh, Don't Kill the Vibe is recorded live in Hollywood at the Create TV Studios by our A-team, executive producer Alex Munoz, audio engineers Andrew Conde and Anthony Russo. Allison Snyder is our creative director. She took some beautiful photos of all of us today that you can look at online. Our theme music today is Lighting Up 
by Dave McGuire, and in several states, you can now legally light up yourself. <laughs> nice. I meant not your, not you can light up. You yourself can light up. Don't light yourself on fire. Right. I meant like a joint. <laughs> We're talking about weed. Yeah. And that was a nice segue. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. I want to say thank you to our guests, Liz Warner and Matthew Adele. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm going to say it right this time, at DKTV Podcast. You can listen to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and or YouTube. Keep in touch at don'tkillthevibe.com. And thank you for listening. Until next time, don't, don't kill, kill the vibe. vibe.